Good evening, everybody. Hope you're doing well. It is Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. And yeah, boy, it really feels like every time we have just a massive amount of things to talk about, and we will be talking about them tonight. And I will be asking questions from you. And we say, uh, good evening, Landry. Good evening, that Mexican. <laughs> Hello, Astro11. Hello, Adam. Ooh, that seems like a rather familiar last name. Sup, my peeps, says the Momorath. Hello from Rhode Island. Good day. How high will Bitcoin go, Bitcoin go up during this stream? Uh, yeah, I checked it. Um, I'm trying not to be obsessive about it, but it's, uh, it's on my mind. And uh, I checked it at uh, 3 o'clock this morning, and it had jumped a couple of thousand. It's, uh, you know, Bitcoin's interfering with my sleep. But, uh, you know, hold, 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 hold. Yes, share the link. Please do. Please do, please do, please do. Hi, Steph. Hi, Prairie Dog. How are you doing? Uh, D-Live thumbs up. Yes, that would be great. And uh, good evening, Stefan Molyneux. Oh, yep, that's me. <laughs> Did you hear about Australia's news banned from Facebook? Yeah, well, there's a big battle going on because the news aggregators don't want to pay for the news that they're getting to make money. So there's a quite... Uh, quite a big thing that's going on there. We can talk about that tonight. Hello, Mr. Squeakers. Hello, Mike, Mike 10. Hello, my name. <laughs> and uh, what is your sell point on Bitcoin? Uh, well, I don't have a sell point I'm going to recommend to anyone. I don't give investment advice. I um, have always had in my mind, or at least for many years, that uh, Bitcoin could go to $700,000 a Bitcoin. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the longer you wait to sell, the, the more the rather corrupt financial institutions have to pay. So 60% uh, of you aren't moving Bitcoins at all, which is good, I guess. Not 60% of you, 60% of everyone. So uh, I, don't, uh, I don't have a sell point. Um, you know, listen, if, if you're really Bitcoin heavy, uh, this is just my, I'm, I'm a big diversification kind of guy. It's the only kind of diversity I'm really into. <laughs> but uh, if you are really Bitcoin heavy, which means, you know, what, it's 75-80% of your uh, net worth is in Bitcoin. It may not be the worst idea to put a couple of eggs in some different baskets. That not be uh, that might not be too bad. So anyway, listen, do you guys want to talk? I've got a bunch of stuff here. Do you want to talk about Rush Limbaugh? Just let me know in the chat here. Rush Limbaugh died today at the age of 70, and I have some thoughts. But if you guys, if it's like... If you're too young, uh, if you're sort of post-AM radio uh, guys, uh, men and women, then I won't. But yeah, you guys want to talk about the rather mixed legacy of Rush Limbaugh? Okay, we got a lot of yeses here. Okay, I'm, I'm happy, to, uh, happy to talk about that. Um, so, did Rush Limbaugh get the vax? <laughs> I don't think so. I, didn't th uh, I don't think so. So... Okay, let's let's talk about about Rush Limbaugh. So, Rush Limbaugh is a manifestation. Obviously, the man had staggering individual talents. Uh, he could vamp with the best of them, and he did. You know, for the majority of his later career, he did three hours a day, five days a week. He had very few callers. He, I don't think he had any guests. So he's just speaking off the cuff in the time slices allowed by radio. One of the things I love about podcasting is that when I go on the radio. 
you've got you've got four minutes to make your point, and then it's a two minute commercial, and then you've got eight minutes to make your point, and you've got to sort of time it. Whereas I, I'm I'm a long form kind of guy. So they say Rogan is the new Rush. No, Rogan is not the new Rush. Oh. Rogan, Joe Rogan is a gateway drug to staying your, in your mom's basement forever. That, that's all Joe Rogan is. He's a, he's a guy who's like, yeah, fighting is cool, man, and, and uh, drugs are cool, man. And, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's um, a narcoleptic to any kind of ambition. But we'll get to um, the feel when you have no girlfriend, which is a movie I saw, based upon some recommendations from people I kind of like. And... Uh, I really found it to be a terrible, terrible, and disappointing, massively disappointing documentary. We'll get to that. Okay, so let's talk about Rush Limbaugh. Now, Rush Limbaugh, again, staggeringly successful. He was on AM, half his listeners towards the end were on FM, and he had like an eight-year contract that was $400 million American. And that's, I mean, it's a staggering amount of money. So the man could drive some ears. The man could drive some eyeballs. And he, although he did have a four-year radio uh, television show back in the 90s, he preferred radio as a whole. And he was harsh. He was blunt. And I think that he was a bit of a bully. And I'll sort of tell you why about that. So, But let me sort of give you the backstory to Rush. So this new deplatforming stuff that has been occurring for basically since Trump won is not new, right? So way back in the day, there was something called the Fairness Doctrine. And I think it was an FCC regulation or something like that. Now, the Fairness Doctrine said, if you have a license to broadcast, which, of course, I don't need a license, uh, but if you wanted to broadcast in America and, of course, many other places, you need a license from the government, uh, the federal, the FCC, uh, was in charge of all of those. And, of course, if the FCC pulled your license, you'd be shit out of luck. You'd, you'd be out of business and all that. So they had a huge amount of control. So there was a, uh, a regulation called the Fairness Doctrine. Now, I actually read a whole book about this once because I was kind of fascinated back in the day about the history of, of broadcasting, obviously, since I'm a broadcaster in my own way. So the Fairness Doctrine said, if you're a radio station, you got an FCC license, and I think it was a TV as well, the Fairness Doctrine said if you have a political viewpoint broadcast on your station, you have to also give equal airtime to the opposite political viewpoint, which is a ridiculous, retarded, stupid rule only invented by leftists so they can harass stations for not playing their views. Because let's say you say, oh, I am, uh, I'm against abortion after 24 weeks, right? I'm, I'm abortion before 20 weeks. Uh, 24 weeks is, is okay, but I'm against abortion. So what's the opposite of that? What is the opposite of that perspective? If you say, I'm for the death penalty only for first-degree murder, what is the opposite of that? Is the opposite of that no death penalty ever? Is the opposite of that I'm for the death penalty for jaywalking <laughs> or first and second and third-degree murder or manslaughter? So there was, in fact, no way to accurately describe what an opposite political viewpoint was. So everybody can predict. It's exactly like hate speech now, right? So uh, people say, well, hate speech is that which, you know, denigrates or pr promotes negative emotions towards whatever protected group or was the groups that vote for the left. And, uh, you know, that's, that's bad. We've got to ban hate speech. And it turns out that it doesn't matter if I have, you know, 17 esteemed 
scientists and and uh, uh, people uh, who are experts in the field of intelligence on to talk about the bell curve doesn't matter. It's just hate speech, right? Whatever. So, so what happened was the fairness doctrine was used as a big club by the left to harass and file endless complaints against radio stations that had conservative viewpoints that didn't give, quote, equal airtime to somebody of an opposing viewpoint. And, you know, in no universe are there genuinely opposing viewpoints. Who even know what that means, right? So the Fairness Doctrine made it such a hassle. People would just file endless complaints with the FCC, which you'd have to document and respond to. And, and you know, you've got a life to live. You've got kids to raise. You've got a business to run. You just don't have all of this damn time to compete with all of these couch dwellers who are just firing. I mean, this is one of the problems between the left and the right, is the left tend to not have jobs as a whole, at least not jobs in the free market, and the right tend to have jobs in the free market. And so when you actually have to work for a living, you don't have enough time, you don't have the kind of time to do all of the endless activism and harass your opponents and so on that the left does. So what would happen is you'd have some radio station, that radio station would have a conservative on, and the conservative would say, I'm for smaller government, lower taxes, and a freer market. Okay, what's the opposite of that? Is the opposite of that a stateless society? Is the opposite of that larger government, fewer free markets, higher taxes? Uh, it's really, really hard to know exactly what it is. Uh, are libertarians and conservatives opposites? Are conservatives and Democrats opposites? Are Democrats and communists opposites? Well, no, of course, not anymore. And so what happened was people who had political content on the airwaves would get endless complaints filed against them by leftist activists, and I'm sure it happens sometimes on the right as well, and they just said, oh, forget it. Oh, man, I, I, can't, I can't do it. I can't spend the rest of my life dealing with all of this crap paperwork to do with all of these complaints that have been filed with the FCC or whoever was running those regulations. And so people just gave up. They just forget it. We're just going to play top 40. Uh, we're going to get out of the politics thing because we're just getting ha- hassled and harassed. You know, and these are the same people who would do like mass complaints against my account or your account if you're saying anything interesting. But back in the day, they would file these complaints based upon the Fairness Doctrine. Now, one of the decent things that Ronald Reagan did was he uh, ushered through the repeal of the Fairness Doctrine. And so you could, and the other thing too, if like, I don't want to hear communist propaganda. So if I'm interested in some, like back in the day, if I listened to some small government radio station, but then the small government radio station had to give equal airtime to straight up communists, well, I'm not going to tune in, right? So it just became completely pointless and, and negative to the business model. So what happened was Ronald Reagan uh, got that regulation repealed, and this created an explosion and really gave a voice to what in America has been called the silent majority. I don't know if they're the majority anymore, but back in the 80s and 90s, they were called the silent majority. And these were the people who didn't have representatives in academia or media, Hollywood, uh, or or book publishers or music industry. They just didn't have a voice there because they're all being taken over by leftists and communists in their much-promised long march through the institutions, which they've been doing since the 1920s. So, you know, when you've got that many termites, it's probably good to pull down rather than try and um, fumigate, to use a very peaceful analogy uh, from the world of extermination. So what I would say is that when the Fairness Doctrine was repealed, there was a massive hunger for 
conservative voices in the airwaves and Rush Limbaugh, who had he tried on a whole bunch of different things. He comes from a very privileged background, like all his family. His my father was a lawyer, a lot of lawyers in his um, family as a whole. So, you know, comes from a pretty wealthy background. He did two semesters in college before dropping out to pursue a radio career. And, you know, the guy was fired a whole bunch, as you can imagine. He's kind of outspoken. He's pretty brash. He's pretty harsh. And I don't say that as a pejorative, uh, but the uh, the end of the fairness doctrine uh, made it kind of inevitable, I think, that you would have someone like Rush Limbaugh come along. Uh, he had German ancestry. The family included a whole bunch of lawyers, as I sort of mentioned. And that capacity to actually have free speech without having to give opposing viewpoints all the time was pretty pretty important. Now, uh, one of the ways that he came to particular prom- prom- um, prominence was uh, in the 1990s with the Gulf War. So he is, I mean, good old southernish boy kind of thing. He is uh, pro-war. He's anti-gay, anti-feminist. Uh, he was uh, relentlessly uh, would mock the um, uh, peace activists and so on. And he had, uh, even in the 90s, like 600 radio stations worldwide. He was just huge. Now, one of the things that happened to him as well, so he was very much for the maximum harshest sentences regarding drug addiction, right? So... If you were caught with drugs, if you were addicted to drugs, if you were a drug user, and if you used them against doctors' prescriptions, this was a a terrible thing. This was a terrible, terrible thing, and you should have the book thrown at you, and you should go to jail until, you know, three generations have passed or something like that, right? Now, in the early 2000s, though, Rush Limbaugh, and maybe earlier, though, Uh, he got himself addicted to painkillers. Now, his argument was, like, I got a bad back, I had surgery to deal with it, and part of the bad back, I assume, had something to do with, I don't know if he was technically obese, but the guy, uh, it it was very tough on the Gulf War and and very weak on the salad bar. So, you know, he um, he had a belly. It's kind of what, he's a good old half-southern boy, right? So, he got addicted to pain medications. He had back problems. Then he had back surgery. And, I mean, I've known enough guys with back problems. Uh, fortunately, I don't have any. Uh, but I've known enough guys with back problems and knee problems that it's it's a bitch on wheels. And, you know, it seems like half the time the surgery that you use to fix it just makes things worse. And it really is just like mucking around with the source code while blindfolded. So he ended up getting himself uh, addicted to pain medication and... He ended up in 2006, he turned himself into the authorities on a warrant issued by the Palm Beach County State Attorney's Office. He was arrested on a single charge of prescription fraud, and uh, his record was later expunged. Uh, back in the day, there were rumors that he'd kind of got his maid to go and get uh, his pain meds for him and all that kind of stuff. And this is, you know, he would say, I don't know what he would say, but he would probably say, say something like, look, man. I got addicted to pain medication because I was in serious pain and I took this stuff and it was really tough to get off. That's different from chasing a high, you know, like these rat, ugly, inner city crack addicts, you know, it's a whole different category. Now, I mean, maybe he just didn't know the facts, but the facts are that almost all addiction is pain management. 
It's pain management. Now, the pain is usually emotional from a traumatized childhood, from child abuse, uh, child rape, uh, being raped as a child or physically abused, emotionally, sexually abused in various ways. And so uh, almost all addiction is pain management. Uh, it's a bad form of pain management, therapy and self-knowledge. And drawing clear lines between good and evil in your life is probably the way to go. Somebody here says, uh, Adam says, don't do surgeries, do strength training, save myself from two surgeries, live my life pain-free. So, yeah, it could be the case. Now, he also went deaf, and there is some, I think he said he was like 100% deaf, and, and he, you know, for a radio show host, that's not obviously particularly good. And there was a whole complicated system in a studio where stuff would be read out and, and uh, so on. So there is some theory that his addiction to painkillers may have contributed to his deafness, but the only way to test that would be to destroy his remaining hearing. He did end up getting, a, I think it's called a cochlea or cochlea implant, which I think transmits the sounds through the bone and all of that kind of stuff. So um, he ended up having some level of hearing. So he, in 2002, he said, we got a bomb, the Ba'athist Iraq, in revenge for the September 11th attacks. And even after, so again, for the, for the younger folks here, you know, one of the biggest and most destructive lies of the, oh gosh, 21st century was that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction and that he was going to use them on the United States. And as Condoleezza Rice famously said, we don't want the smoking gun to be in the form of a mushroom cloud, that there was this belief that he could destroy an entire American city with the wave of his hand, like some epileptic Merlin from hell. And it was an unbelievable lie that really drove the invasion of Iraq, which caused the deaths of more than half a million people. And I've got a whole presentation from back in the day called Iraq a Decade uh, of hell, which uh, I would really recommend checking out. They use such unbelievable, the depleted uranium shells gave the residents of Fallujah such genetic destruction. They, they were genetically destroyed as a population to the point now where they're still having children with enormous birth defects, like the Vietnamese with Agent Orange leftovers from the war in the 60s into the early 70s. So, um, yeah, American weapons, uh, I mean, it's horrendous. I'm just... Uh, horrendous in in the long-term damage you know at least when the second world war ended with the obviously massive exception of japan uh, the weapons kind of cooled down and, and went away but the amount of destruction and of course modern drug drug addiction comes out of a lot of the second world war the servicemen were given you know amphetamines and all this to keep them up to keep them particularly the pilots and the bombardiers to keep them flying in these endless sorties and so a lot of modern drug, drug addiction uh, comes out of the Second World War and the, you know, and, and the, the fistfuls of drugs that are still given to soldiers as a whole. I remember once uh, talking to a soldier whose knees had been destroyed. He was in his mid-20s. His knees had been destroyed in the military. And all they did was give him handfuls of painkillers to keep going. And, of course, they hand out psychotropic meds by the bucketful, I think, sometimes. So, yeah, he uh, he did support that. And even after... There were no weapons of mass destruction found. He's like, well, you know, but I still believe that they existed and so on, right? Um, on the Abu Ghraib torture and prisoner abuse scandal, Limbaugh said, this is no different than what happens at the Skull and Bones initiation. And we're going to ruin people's lives over it. And we're going to hamper our military effort. And then we are going to really hammer them because they had a good time. Uh, that was a, you can look it up, a pretty horrendous torture, schedule, uh, torture scandal that occurred 
and uh, did a lot to turn people against the war in Iraq uh, in the same way that some of the um, the My Lai Massacre began to turn people against the war in Vietnam. Um, Limbaugh also reportedly asserted that the virus, the, the, the COVID-19 virus, was just basically the common cold. Um, February 24th, 2020, Limbaugh said, I'm dead right on this. The coronavirus is the common cold, folks. And it's not. Um, it's not. He was married four times. First three ended in divorce. He had no kids. Um, I don't know if he wanted kids. Uh, I assume that he didn't have, like, Henry VIII-style series of infertile wives, so perhaps he was unable to have kids uh, himself. But... Um, he was really harsh on the AIDS victims as well, and uh, so he was, um, and, and I think he avoided the major topics uh, that dealt with things. He, he he just really avoided some of the major topics, and so it's tough, you know, when you have that kind of reach. You have that kind of reach because you're provocative, and you will say blunt things that other people are afraid to say, which has its value, for sure, in breaking down the politically correct stuff, but at the same time... He did kind of veer away from the really contentious issues that I think would have really helped clarify things in America, if not the West as a whole, like some of the stuff that I've talked about over the years. It's a really big question, right? Do you get addicted to your reach? Do you get addicted to your audience? It's a very, very big issue and something that I've wrestled with continuously because I was one of the biggest broadcasters really around in the alternative media for you know quite quite a few years there and the question is do you say well I want to hang on to this audience so I'm going to avoid avoid essential truths I'm going to avoid and I'm basically misleading them by saying that I'm a truth teller I'm going to say it like it is I'm going to be blunt but I'm going to avoid pretty essential truths because I don't want to be deplatformed. That's a big question in other words do you gain an audience in order to give them the truth which costs you the audience, or do you gain an audience in order to mislead them in order to maintain your audience? That's like one of the big questions when you have any kind of reach and any kind of power, right? And of course, people can see, and you know, the number of people who are watching this live stream is less than, of course, than it was in my uh, heyday. And I was bigger than many media outlets in my heyday. And that's a big question, right? It's a big question, one that I really stared down for for quite some time. Once you have a big enough audience, are you then enslaved to the audience to not tell essential truths? I think that Rush Limbaugh, and this could be because he was old school, it could be because he didn't know or want to make the transition to a more internet platform, but I think that he steered away from, and he was, you know, he was burned a couple of times, and I think that just gave him the... Um, Oh, stay away from these topics, stay away from that topics. And so I think that he did kind of fail that test a little bit. I think you have a big audience or you get a big audience in order to have the maximum capacity to tell the most difficult truths to that audience. That's what the big audience is for. You say, oh, but that's going to lose me my big audience. And you can't be a slave to that. You, you can't, I mean, you can be, obviously, lots of people are, but I think it's really, it's really terrible. To compromise on the truth for the sake of maintaining an audience is simply keeping the conduit open to misinformation. I would much rather have, infinitely rather have, a small audience I can be honest with than a large audience I can't be honest with. And uh, I believe he knew a lot 
about things. Uh, I think there's evidence that he did know a lot about things that he just wasn't going to talk about. And I think that's not a very good legacy. I mean, how much money do you need? How much? I mean, the, the guy was staggeringly wealthy, right? So how much money do you need before when you're at your maximum peak, you can let rip with some essential truths that can change the world? He didn't need the money. And and if the audience, if his addiction to the audience was causing him to not tell the truth about essential issues, then I don't think he was doing the audience, the truth, America, the future, the West, much good, fundamentally. So that's uh, so. My those are my my thoughts on him. And obviously, I've made different choices. So you can take that with a grain of salt. I've made different choices. I chose to blow up the audience for the cause of truth. And that was not a uh, an accidental decision. So let's see here. When will YouTube and Twitter be classified legally as publishers? Well, um, Rick DeSantis of uh, Florida is trying some things here, but uh, I would not hold my breath. I would not hold my breath. And if the other thing, too, is like once they start trying to repeal Section 230, um, by the time the industry flacks and hacks and pressure groups get their hands on it, they'll probably just be used to shut down the final remnants of people like us anyway. So, All right. Let's see here. What else happened today? <laughs> Do you guys want to talk Bitcoin? I mean, we've got a whole panel that I sometimes convene at a moment's notice, like the Justice League. But I do have a uh, group uh, that uh, I, I talk about with. If you guys have any questions or issues about what's going on with Bitcoin at the moment, uh, which is, it's pretty wild stuff. Um, it's pretty it's pretty wild stuff. What is it at? 67,000 uh, Canadian. Uh, let's see here. CDN, BTC. Hey, I think I've typed that before. <laughs> I really think I have. All right, so let's have a quick look here. Yeah, it's uh, down a little bit, I think, from its high uh, earlier today. No, only a tiny bit, though. So, yeah. It's, uh, well, it's around the 666s, which I suppose is the mark of the beast for the bankers uh, as it accelerates past there. You know, boy, I would not want to be a stockbroker uh, these days, uh, <laughs> in terms of like brokers are going to go the way of the dodo. They really are. They're, they're horse and buggyville, man. It's horse and buggy, not even versus the car. It's uh, horse and buggy versus teleportation, uh, as I was talking about in, in, on social media today. So, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. And um, it's pretty wild to think that how many multiples it's gone up since I started doing, obviously not causal, but how many multiples it's gone up since I started doing the uh, investment roundtable. It's just wild. It's just wild. Okay, so what do we got here? Let's just read it off for the remainder of the show uh, live. What do you think? Is that what we should do? Is that what we should do? But uh, no, it's going to, it's, you know, as I talked about before, it is, um, it's going up a step, right? So it goes up. And people are like, wow, it's up. And the people who bought it as a speculative asset, which is fine, the people who bought it as a speculative asset are going to sell their Bitcoins. And the people who understand its true long-term value in general are going to hold on to, again, you know, as I said before, uh, my suggestion 
totally amateur suggestion. Don't do anything based upon what I'm saying. But my vague suggestion is uh, it's, it is important to diversify a little. So, um, so as, as the price goes up, people are going to sell a little and they're going to tell people about it and they're going to be excited about it. And that's going to be really wonderful in terms of uh, getting the advertisement out. People are like, hey, where did your new come for, car come from? Bitcoin. Oh, tell me more about Bitcoin. And then the conversation starts and people buy. So it's going to go up. It's going to hover for a bit. It's going to go up. It's going to hover a bit. I mean, it could well be 70K by the end of the year. Well, by early mid next week, it would not surprise me. Well, no, it could be end of the weekend. Could be end of the weekend. Okay, anyway, we'll 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 see. We'll see. Not a prediction, just a <laughs> just a random guess. Just a random guess. But um, let's see here. What do you have questions? I was talking about Bitcoin with family. The elderly don't get it. Oh, you want to talk about Texas power outages? Well, I mean, I don't want to be one of these cliched guys who's like, I don't know much about the Texas power grid, but then the power goes out and um, suddenly I'm an expert. Uh, from what little I have read, of course, uh, it has a lot to do with, um, you know, the move away from coal, even clean coal. It has a lot to do with the forced government forced reliance on alternative energy sources. Uh, the wind turbines froze up. Uh, on the nuclear power stations, the indicator, uh, the indicators froze, and you just can't. Even if there's nothing dangerous that seems to be happening, you can't run the power plant without uh, really, really good uh, instrumentation. If the instrumentation freezes up, you're toast, right? So uh, it is a lot. But the other thing too, like it is a once in a hundred year storm, and you know sometimes bad stuff happens. And yeah, there's government policy to do with it, but it's not the sole cause, right? So here's a, a friend of mine uh, who lives in Texas. Uh, he sent me these messages, right? He said, man, we were lit up. No power or water for three days. In-house temperature got to 48 degrees Fahrenheit. When we came back from, well, he visited me once, uh, and he said, when we came back from your place, I looked at a whole house generator, then got distracted by power wall batteries and regretted it the last three days. Power just came back on tonight. We took our fridge and freezer, and it is all sitting in the front yard now. We are hoping the worst is behind us. We went through 30 gallons of water, and we're down to 10 gallons left. Water still isn't on tonight, but hopefully soon. We ran out of gas for the generator, went out today, but no power, no gas stations. Plenty of food and lots of battery backups got us through. Lots of strategies developed. And he was suggesting, uh, he said, how about the next roundtable be on surviving an issue like this? Not quite surviving the end of the world, but what, is, what it's like being three days off the grid. And uh, he said, and now we have freezing rain coming down. It's 23 degrees Fahrenheit now. Weird, not snow. We are going to be frozen in until Saturday. Hope the electricity holds. And uh, I don't know, would you guys be interested? I guess this is like a semi-prepper kind of situation. Would you guys be interested in a roundtable? about uh, that kind of stuff just let me know let me know and um, let's see here uh, when is it okay to be mean in an argument when is it okay to insult so if you're just arguing one-on-one -on -one, it's a very different situation from arguing in public so when you're arguing in public uh, you don't leave your arguments in the lurch I mean you don't do it either way but it's more of a show 
right? It's it's more of a show, and it's more like a gladiator fight, and it's more like a w- world, uh, like WWF wrestling and that kind of stuff, right? So I would say that um, if you're in public and somebody starts to insult you, don't take insults, don't let insults fly by. That is a very very weak move, and I've you know I've got tons of debates you can look at uh, on my various platforms for more on this. Don't ever let, like if somebody just says, you know, like uh, only a jerk wouldn't care about this, right? Don't let that fly by. Don't let one, don't let one insult fly by. If somebody's insulting you, even if it's in a general category, you call them on it, man. No, like, are you calling me a jerk? Are you saying, is this where we are in the debate? Don't let those insults fly by. And if, uh, and, and just, just turn it back. So it's a big piece of life advice I got from my college roommate, who's a brilliant guy. He's like two PhDs. So back in the day, he said to me, the studies are pretty clear on the prisoner's dilemma, right? And the prisoner's dilemma is, you know, basically do you trust another person or not, right? He said, this studies have been done, mathematical models have been done. The very best strategy is this. You treat people the best you can the very first time you meet them, and after that, you treat them as they treat you. You got that? You treat people the best you can the very first time you meet them, and after that, you treat them as they treat you which means it's never on you if it goes bad, right? So I treat people the very best I can when I start debating with them. If they become douche nozzles during the show, I don't, I don't, the higher ground thing is just, it's a, it's a, it's a path off a cliff. The higher ground is just what you're told by bad people to let them win. The higher ground stuff, I just think is terrible. It's wrong. And, uh, I mean, gosh, you see the, uh, uh the lawyer who was, uh, defending Trump, you know, he's had his house vandalized. He's had his offices vandalized. He's received over 100 death threats. Whereas the people who are uh, attacking uh, Trump or even the people who are defending uh, the highly questionable folk at the uh, Lincoln Project, and I'm not suggesting anybody do anything like this. I'm just saying that this is the difference, right? One side uses violence and the other side uh, uh, claims the higher ground. And I would rather nobody use violence. All right, how about the technology? Bitcoin and Ether are overcapacity. They can't handle this. Okay, so you got to, I'm sorry to be sound frustrated, but if you're new to the conversation, I apologize for that, but oh my God. Okay, uh, you got to start living in a dynamic universe. Um, the, the, the universe that you live in is dynamic, and, and so many mistakes are made because people don't understand that they live in a dynamic universe. I mean, it's not just a dynamic physical universe, it's a dynamic social universe, right? So, you know the way it works in the world, right? If there's more CO2 in the air, CO2 is plant food, plants grow more, taking the CO2 out of the air, right? That's a, so you say, oh my gosh, we're dumping this amount of CO2 into the air. It's like, okay, but yes, that, that is the case. And CO2 was dozens and hundreds of times higher in the past and life was fine. In order for a planet to be stable enough to produce an advanced life form such as ours, it has to be like not like Venus, which just went over the top and went haywire. It has to be a self-correcting mechanism in some way. And the relationship between animals and plants, right? Animals produce CO2, particularly cow farts. And of course, when they die, CO2 is released from the bodies into the ground. And Animals, we breathe in oxygen and we breathe out CO2. And plants breathe in oxygen and breathe out, sorry, uh, we <laughs> and plants breathe in CO2 and breathe out oxygen. So we're in a symbiotic relationship. So the more CO2 you put in the air, the more you will provoke the growth of plants, which takes the CO2 out of the air. That's a dynamic system. 
uh, earlier we were talking about the fairness doctrine and say, well, it sounds fair to say, well, if you have one political viewpoint on, you also have to have the opposing. You've got to give equal time to both perspectives. Like, it sounds fair, but you live in a dynamic society. So the moment you have that rule, people will simply use it to harass political opponents they disagree with, political radio stations, political radio hosts that they disagree with, and they'll just shut down the whole thing, right? So you got to think, you got to start living in a dynamic universe. This is like, if there's one thing you can get from this conversation tonight, it's a dynamic universe. It's the old saying that says, whatever rule you propose, imagine your very worst enemy is using it against you, right? Imagine your very worst enemy is using it against you, right? So, oh, hate speech. Okay, well, hate speech, that sounds bad. Okay, well, imagine if what you honestly say and believe and can prove even gets classified as hate speech and you get handed out in the public square or maybe into jail for all I know, right? Well, that's the reality, right? So a dynamic universe in the world of Bitcoin is, yeah, sometimes Bitcoin can be kind of slow. But if you just take that, well, Bitcoin is just slow. Bitcoin, there's a lot of movement in Bitcoin. And, and Bitcoin is, sorry, I don't mean to mock you, right? It's kind of rude. But what you're thinking is like, well, we have this fixed thing called Bitcoin. And it's slow. And, and you know, as the number of transactions goes up, it's just going to get slower. But that's not living in a dynamic universe. A dynamic universe is, okay, Bitcoin has a challenge. Bitcoin is not a thing. Bitcoin is an ecosystem. It has a challenge. And the challenge is, yeah, it can be kind of slow, and it can be kind of expensive to process your transactions. So that's going to cut into the value of Bitcoin. But now that we have close to a trillion dollars of value invested in Bitcoin, do you think people are just going to let it, oh, it's just so slow? Well, I guess I'll just watch my however much money evaporate, because no, they'll start, they're working on the Lightning Network, there's Bitcoin Cash, which forked off, there's a whole bunch of work that's being done to try and improve the speed and nimbleness of Bitcoin. People aren't going to just let their entire value and investment in Bitcoin go tits up because it's getting kind of slow at times. They'll figure out a way to make it faster, to make it better, to have it work well, and just live in a yeah, 24,000 transactions every 10 minutes is nothing. So, got to remember, you're living in a dynamic universe. You're living in a dynamic universe. And just look at your own life. Look at your own day. Look at your own day to figure that out, right? If you're home, let's say it's a summer, you're home, and you notice a whole bunch of ants crawling around your back door. Well, do you just sit there and say, well, I guess that's it for the foundations of the house? No. You call an exterminator, you do what you need to do to get rid of the ants or the termites or whatever it is, right? If you have, I mean, I remember this when I was in Africa. When I was in Africa, I stayed with a missionary and his family. And there were too many deer. And partly because this is a problem you have when you take the predator species out, the deer, right? They're just, uh, and so we went hunting deer. You don't just sit there and say, well, I guess all my crops are going to get eaten by deer. You know, it just doesn't work that way. People respond and change their behavior based upon the information that they're receiving. So don't sit back in life and say, well, the problem is that Bitcoin is hat, right? Okay, there's almost a trillion dollars of worth invested in Bitcoin. People aren't just going to say, it's like, you know, you bought a house. Oh, well, there are termites here, so I guess the foundation of the house are going to get eaten away. It's like, no, no, no. Just as you change your behavior based upon things happening around you. You know, like when you're driving, 
and some jerk pulls out of a driveway, what do you do? Do you just crash into him? Well, I just, you know, no, you change your speed. You, you hit the brakes. You swerve to the other lane. You Whatever, right? You honk your horn. You change your behavior based upon that which is threatening your interests. You change your behavior to pursue some enhanced or new interest, right? You change your behavior. So just really, really understand this. Don't look at the world like it's an oil painting. It's not. It's not a photograph. It, it, it changes dynamically based upon the inputs. If the inputs are Bitcoin is too slow, the output will be people will find a way to, uh, to accelerate it. And people aren't just going to give up on the entire value of everything that people have poured 10 years of their life and, and like into Bitcoin. They're not just going to watch it go tits up. So, yes, whatever criticism you have, and it's fine to have those criticisms. It's, it's fine to have those criticisms. I think it's totally fine. Wonderful. But, but, don't imagine that people aren't going to find a way to solve this. Uh, the Bitcoin... Um, the Bitcoin community is composed of just about the most brilliant and economically and ideologically motivated human beings on the planet. You know, bet against them at your freaking peril. Because Bitcoin is not just an alternative currency. It's not just a store of value. It's not just a cool public ledger. Bitcoin is a passionate FU to the powers that be. Bitcoin as I've argued publicly in speeches many years ago, Bitcoin is the potential end to war, to hyperinflation, to intergenerational debt. Bitcoin is a mission of mercy to the future. Bitcoin is the Jesus to the new converts of the religion of peace called crypto. Bitcoin is the people regaining control over their currency for the first time in the history of the world. Bitcoin is currency democratized, unpoliticized, unpredatory. Bitcoin is a currency that serves the people at the expense of the parasites rather than the currency which serves the parasites at the expense of the people at the moment. Bitcoin is rescuing your precious labor from being hoovered up endlessly by the invisible vampire mosquitoes of central banking. Bitcoin is about as passionate a calling for the people involved in that community as Anything you've ever seen in life, and by that I also include the people who cut their own balls off to try and hitch a ride on the Halley Bob Comet, okay? These people are seriously brilliant, beautifully, derangedly committed to the future of peace and plenty that Bitcoin could represent and will, I believe, when it reaches its full fruition, which is a hell of a long way from doing. The people who were early on in the internet were like, wow, this is really cool. It's going to help free speech. It's going to do this, it's going to do that. And that was wonderful. But free speech was already a concept. This expansion of the internet, yeah, it did help with free speech. That's why we're talking now. I think it's wonderful. But it was an extension of an existing principle. 
what we understand as currency now is slavery. The currency is summoned into existence at the expense of your children's futures. What you think of as a dollar sign is a slow, jugular-sucking noose twined and twisted around the necks of your children. They're sold for another fucking yacht, for another fucking asshole in the here and now. They're on the block internationally. Jeez, there's a new instant. There's a new group against human trafficking being formed in the United States at the moment. Against human trafficking, fantastic. But the real human trafficking is the national debt. Where your children are sold usually across international lines so that politicians can stuff their asses with money in the here and now and shower a little bit down on the people so the people will overlook what intergalactic assholes the politicians are. That's the new slavery. That's the new human trafficking. It's the economic blood and future of your children. You need to understand the Bitcoin space. The passion that these incredibly brilliant people have brought to bear on the oldest human problem. How do you store value so that thieving, predatory, vampiric assholes can't get their jugular-sucking tentacles on it at all times? How do you store value so that you can actually come back to it? <laughs> it's an old movie. It's not that, it's not that old, I suppose. Into the Wild. And the guy kills some animal and, and stores it by a river, comes back a day or two later, and there are flies eating it. And he can't eat it. He couldn't store that. Didn't have a fridge. He couldn't store the value. Civilization is all about the storing of value. You don't have a pen and paper. You can't write down Shakespeare. That all gets lost. You don't have recording equipment. You can't get the beautiful singers and songs down. They're gone. There's an oral tradition, but it twists and turns in a game of schizophrenic epileptic telephone. The store of value is civilization. Why it was so horrible when the library of Alexandria was burnt down. It was horrible when people lose, lose their YouTube channels. The mighty pillar of philosophy, free domain radio on YouTube vanished. All the comments vanished. All of the associations vanished. All the arguments, all the debates gone. And the leaders of YouTube will be cursed in the future for the great store and sum of human interactions that vanished in the most crucial time in modern history and one of the greatest times in the history of philosophy. They will be viewed as, rightly so, as barbarians who torched a library. So when you're talking about, well, Bitcoin has a shortcoming, Bitcoin has a problem, I understand where you're coming from and I'm all about identifying problems. How do you store value? That's civilization, you understand. And Bitcoin is about how you store value so that other assholes can't get their fucking hands on it. They just can't. You put your money in the bank, inflation eats it away. You store your meat by a river, the flies lay their eggs in it 
and you can't eat it. You got gold coins in Rome. They put all kinds of bimetallic shit into the gold and destroy its value in your hand. How do you store value? Jams? <laughs> Pickles? All of this is about storing value. Preserves? Fridges? It's all about storing value. How much would you have to work if you didn't have a fridge or a store to go get your food? It's crazy. You ever wander around the woods thinking, oh my God, if I need 2,500 calories a day from here, all I'm doing all day, all I'm doing all day, all day is chasing calories. How do you store value? God, look at the books. Look at everything. Look at your playlist. Do you know how much value you have stored on your phone in terms of art, music? All the stuff that's stored. I mean, the stuff you can access, but, you know, let's say you've got some playlist down, you know, a couple of hundred songs, a couple of thousand songs. How much value is stored there? Almost incalculable. We only have a civilization because people figured out how to store value. Why does a farmer grow more than he needs to live? Big fundamental question. Can't have a city. Can't have scholars. Can't have priests. You can't have anybody who's not directly involved in the production of food if you don't have farmers growing more than they need to consume. Go to a farmer's market, right? These days, the farmers aren't very thin, <laughs> to put it mildly, right? So the farm, why is the farmer selling you some corn? Because he's got enough. He's got more than enough, so he can sell you the excess. So if the farmer doesn't know how to store value, you're dead. You understand? Unless you're a farmer. So in the times of the Dark Ages, in the times of general predation, the warlord state, the nature red and tooth and claw Hobbesian state of nature, nobody can store anything. If you're some farmer and you produce more crops than you need, and you try and trade or sell, word gets around, and next thing you know, every asshole, every asshole that gives the basis for the centaur myth comes riding down out of the mountains and takes your shit. You can't store it. You can't store value the moment you have anything of excess. Assholes will come and take it away. Which they still do. It's called taxation, obviously, right? Yeah. When I dated a woman whose family was from Bombay, now Mumbai, I would be excited or happy or proud about something. And I'd be jumping up and down, I got some good mark, I, you know, I wrote a great play, I'm jumping up and down, I'm, I'm so happy, things are great, I'm doing so well, and do you know what you would say? Oh, black tongue, don't say it! Don't say it! And she was kind of half joking, but half serious. Don't, don't, don't show your good fortune. Don't share your good fortune. Don't be happy. Don't show you have any access. Why? Because the gods will watch. And whatever you are cheerful about having gained, word will get out. These will come in the night and you will lose it all. You can't store anything in a primitive society. You can't store anything. There's no point. The moment you have one thing more, some asshole's going to come take it. So just have what you need to live 
and nothing more. You know, when I was doing research on the Aborigines of Australia, can't say Australia, if Australia. I lived in Australia for 40,000 years. That's 20 times, Omar, 15, 20 times between Socrates and now. 2,500 years, Socrates, 25 into 40,000, right? 2,540,000. 10 to 15 to 20 times, right? Or you can say it's, no, 20 times Jesus to now. No progress. Nothing. They were using the same nothing 40,000 years to 40,000 years, that whole span. Why? Because they couldn't store anything. Why couldn't they store anything? The violent, predatory, destructive environment. Massive infanticide. They would kill their children by pouring sand into their mouths. Incredibly violent initiation rituals for the young men. They'd throw spears at the young men's legs to see if they could dodge them well enough. Nothing. Couldn't store anything. Everything we have is to store. Why do you have a computer? Because you saved some money. And you were able to save your money because you had some belief that the value you saved would be able to buy something in the future. Why do you have anything? In excess of what you need to live. Why did you buy a house? Because you believe that you'll be able to keep that house. People aren't going to just come along communist style and take it away from you. The storage and retention of value is everything in life. And because we need it so desperately in order to have a civilization, that need is used against us in the form of government-created, unbacked bullshit, pretend money. The monopoly money that comes from the monopoly state, because we're so desperate to have a little bit more than what we've made to survive, which is civilization, we end up putting up with the bullshit insult to Kleenex nose-wipe artificial pretend fiat currency. Now, people in the Bitcoin space, they may not understand it quite as deeply or as widely or hopefully eloquently as I've laid it out here, but they understand that by creating something which can store value outside the state, store value outside the state, That is a revolution the likes of which we have never, ever, ever, ever seen before in human history. If shells on some island are the currency, and you need three shells a day to live, and you have four shells, someone's going to come and take that fourth shell, and then tomorrow you won't bother getting a fourth shell. You just stick with three shells, and nothing will ever progress because nothing ever gets saved and stored up in value Nothing ever gets built because everything you build is going to be taken away. Imagine everything you build is going to get taken away. I mean, it's happening now, you understand. Everything you have built is already taken away. Everything you build is already taken away. By unfunded liabilities, national debts, inflation, everything you build is already taken away. You're just allowed to have it for a little while to give you the illusion of that it's worth going to work tomorrow. Yeah, you can have a house. Yeah, fine, you can have a house. I mean, it's not your house. You've got to pay the government every year to keep it. And the government put it in so much debt 
and you in so much debt that it's going to be owned by some foreign bankster at some point, or the entire currency is going to collapse, we'll go back to savage gangs, and you'll lose your house. You pretend you have a house. You pretend you have electricity. You pretend you have a car. You pretend you have everything. You have nothing. You know this uh, 2030, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy? You know you own nothing now. In fact, you, you owe. You don't own, you owe. You're only allowed to pretend to own something so that you'll get up and go to work tomorrow. That's it. That's it, man. Like in the past, why did the serfs go to work? They were bought and sold with the land. Why did slaves go to work? There were theological reasons. Uh, the, the, the God God has appointed the Lord over you. To obey him is to obey God, is to obey virtue. You'll get into heaven. You're basically a piece of human livestock, but if you obey this guy, you'll get into heaven. And if you don't, we'll throw you in jail. The master race, the slave races in the ancient world. So, you don't have anything. You don't, ha you don't own or have anything other than the illusion of ownership which keeps you on the treadmill. If you, look, if you genuinely understood how much debt was taken out on your behalf just because you're fucking breathing, if you genuinely looked at that math, and you can find it pretty easily, you got to just look at, this is one of the things, I wouldn't say it radicalized me, it just, it's just a fact. My daughter's born into over a million dollars of debt, well over a million dollars of debt. Is she free? What kind of fucking system? I mean, saws off a third of a baby boy's penis skin. What kind of system treats babies as collateral? Hmm? What kind of fucking system treats babies as collateral? The unborn, their dreams and hopes and futures and opportunities. What kind of fucking system? What kind of monster is in charge of that system? Look at a baby and say, oh man, we can profit from this. Oh, we can make a bunch of money from this pink squalling little life form. What kind of reptilian overlord space aliens? I can understand why people have these fantasies. Look at a baby staring with tenderness into its mother's eyes as he suckles on the breast, learning to use his arms, and says, oh, we can put that kid to work. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We can borrow based upon that kid's slave job in the future. That's a really, I mean, we could actually go out and work for a living, but hell with that. Let's just use babies as collateral. That's what we're going to do. Your babies are debt slaves. You're a debt slave. You own nothing. You own nothing. Unless you own some Bitcoin. Now, the fact that people owe everything and own nothing, the fact that money is debt, the fact that working is serfdom, it's kind of an insult to serfdom. Serfs got to keep more than you and I do. Slaves got to keep more than you and I do. It's estimated 
Did slaves got to keep 70 to 80% of their productivity? When was the last time you saw a net cumulative 20 to 30% tax rate? Not counting unfunded liabilities, not counting all the taxes that cluster around you like mosquitoes. Not counting debt. You've never seen that in your lifetime, and neither have I. A Bitcoin, you understand? Bitcoin says you can own something. You can actually fucking own something. And that ownership is not a lie. It's not a carrot that's an illusory carrot that's out there jumping ahead of you to make sure that you stay on the fucking treadmill and serve your financial overlords. It's actually something you own. Never happened before. It's never happened before in human history. Why do you think I was so keen on Bitcoin from the very beginning? I remember the first time I actually owned something. It was a Winnie the Pooh book. It was given to me by my aunt. It had my name in it. And I, I, I remember, I was like four years old, I remember walking down the street holding this book. It's mine. It's mine. I remember writing my first short story when I was six years old and I was in Africa. And it was about, I still remember very clearly, <laughs> it's about, or was about, still is, I guess, a man who thinks that a leopard that is skulking around his farm is rabid. It's dangerous. Couldn't, wouldn't normally attack his children or his livestock, but could be sick because it was moving very slowly and had a distended belly. And so he decides he's going to shoot the leopard. Keep his kids safe, keep his livestock safe, keep his farm safe. But he hopes the leopard doesn't go too far, because if it comes back at night, it could be dangerous. So he gets his shotgun, loads it, goes out, and sees the leopard lying under a tree. The spots, the light, the shadows, the green. And the sun through the trees is making those little soft beams that land on the leopard's body, and the leopard is breathing. But labored. And he thinks, oh my God, maybe the leopard's dying. Maybe I won't need to, I don't want to shoot a leopard. Maybe it's just dying and I just I can just sit here and watch it die. So he walks over to the leopard. The leopard barely lifts its head, and he realizes that the leopard was not sick, the leopard was pregnant, and the leopard has given birth to baby leopards. And he puts his gun down. The leopard is not dangerous. Because a healthy leopard is fine. It's a sick leopard that's dangerous. Because the mother is healthy and the babies are healthy, he puts down his gun. I wrote that story when I was six years old. And that was my story. I remember being very proud that I had written it, that, and I wrote a whole bunch of stuff. I started writing my first novel when I was 11 years old, By the Light of an Alien Sun. <laughs> and it was actually read out. I remember the teacher's name. It was read out in my class. 
she knew I was writing a novel. She read it out, and it was there was a fairly thinly disguised uh, kissing scene between me and a girl in the class I liked. But uh, it was uh, it was very funny. The the entire class was was laughing, and it was not a harsh laugh. It wasn't like it was actually laughing with, not laughing at. But um, and that was my story. So I owned it. I owned it. I created it. You know, did I own my YouTube channel? No, didn't own it. The moment I displeased the powers that be, I'm gone. Did I own my Twitter account? No, I didn't own it. I'd homesteaded it. I'd created it. I'd poured 40,000 hours into these things. Fruits of 15 years of labor. I didn't own it. Now, if it had been on the blockchain, (laughs) I still would own it. The work that I do on the blockchain. And I do have blockchain-based social media accounts. Because I'd like to fucking own something before I'm dead. I'd like to own something more than the coffin they wrap me in. Don't you want to actually have something that's yours at some point in this godforsaken life? Don't you want to actually have something that can't be taken away from you? Don't you want to have money that doesn't evaporate? Don't you want to have things that can't be taken away from you by men in blue with guns anytime? You want to own something? Ownership is life. Storage of value is civilization. If you don't own things, you're not free. Property rights are human rights. They are one and the same. If you don't own yourself, if you don't own your computer, if you don't own your website, if you don't own your publications, you have no free speech. If you can't own a pen and paper, you can't write down anything. And if you can't transmit it, nobody else can read it or hear it. If you don't have the right of ownership and transfer, you have nothing. You have nothing. Property rights and human rights are the same thing. There's no distinction. It's not even that there's not a dime's worth of difference between them. They're the same thing. Now, Bitcoin, and by that I also mean associated public ledgers and cryptos. Bitcoin is property rights without the state and property transfer without the state. Decentralized, anonymous if you want it, publicly verified, incorruptible, incontrovertible, undilutable. It's pure whiskey. You can't piss in it and think you're making whiskey. And because it is property rights decentralized, it is human rights solidified. The property decentralized, and by that means not enforced by a central government, because the enforcement of property rights through a central government is a complete contradiction. Because if I have to give up half my property in order to protect my property, guess what? My property is not being protected. (laughs) 
It's like saying, well, you know, I'm going to preserve your bodily integrity, but I'm going to have to saw off your arm. It's like, I don't really think you're preserving my bodily integrity if you have to saw off an arm. And if people got to point guns at me for 50% of my money in order to protect my property, while at the same time selling me, my children, their children, into intergenerational debt slavery, forgive me just a little fucking bit if I don't feel my property rights or my human rights are being ably defended in this scenario. It's not happening. It's a delusion. It's like saying to the slave, well, at least I'm, I'm keeping you free of competitive forces. <laughs> you know, when they would just hobble a slave, like cut through his Achilles tendon so he couldn't run, it was just a brute exercise. They didn't lie to the guy and say, well, I'm here to protect your freedom of movement by hobbling you. Come on. Protect my property by taking half of it and selling 150% of it in future debt. That's how propagandized we are. You think you own something. You don't. Unless you've got a crypto. Then you own something. Now, yes, people can come and take it away. I get all of that. Yes, but that is, that is the difference between an accident and torture. You know, if you, if you work out and you eat well, maintain a healthy way, don't smoke, don't drink too much, does that mean you're immortal? No. Does that mean you'll live to age 90? No. No. You might not live to the end of this broadcast for all you know. Or I know. I might die too. But dying of natural causes is inevitable and it's just a risk of life. Being tortured to death is a whole different matter. So yeah, you, you could lose your crypto, somebody could steal them through force or something like that, right? Not, not through hacking, but usually, I mean, they got them in exchange or whatever, right? But that's, that's a risk of just being in society in the same way you could be in a safe neighborhood and still be robbed, right? That's just a risk of living in society, but it's not institutional. It's not baked into the very nature of a status society, where you're going to wake up tomorrow and, yeah, half your day is going to be working for assholes so they have collateral to sell you and your children into more slavery. So, please understand, Bitcoin is the new abolitionist movement. Abolitionist was the end of slavery, which is the birth of the modern world. End slavery, bring in wages, you get labor-saving devices, and you get the modern world. There is no modern world without the end of slavery, and there's no future world without the end of debt slavery. There was physical slavery, now there's debt slavery. And that's what it's all about. Before, you couldn't store value because you were a slave. All of your excess production was taken away from you and you were given a little shack and some shitty dentistry and some bad food. Couldn't save anything. Now you think you can save something, but you can't. You got some savings? Oh, sorry, hyperinflation hit. All gone. 
is the story of the guy in the Weimar Republic. Saved his whole life. Saved his whole life. So that he could retire a little early. So he had a hard job. And then he wants to retire, takes all the money out of the bank, walks across the street, and it's just enough for a cup of coffee. That the money was dissolving in value as he crossed the street. There were people racing around with wheelbarrows full of money, trying to buy something, anything, to trade in barter before the money evaporated into nothing because they just printed the shit out of that money to pretend to pay their war debts. What did the Germans own? What did the French own? What did the Romans own? Nothing! They owned the illusion of ownership, which actually made them more slaves because they continued to peddle like mad to buoy up the predatory, spine-dissolving civilization, anti-civilization, that was feeding them into the slow chipper of international finance, back then as it is now. So you got people, yeah, they're making some money from Bitcoin. I get that. But that's what happens. And people are getting this smell, this this scent. It's very unfamiliar. It's like, have you ever been in a foreign country and there's some dessert you've never even heard of? And you smell and you're like, damn, that's good. What, what is that? It's not, it's not pie. It's not profiterole. It's not, what the hell is that? God, that's good. And it turns out to be some freaky thing that you've never seen before. And you taste it and you're like, damn, this is like nothing before. And it's incredible. This is like nothing before and it's incredible. And people are getting that scent. You understand? People are getting that scent. It's really incredible. And the scent is... Freedom. Ownership, the store of value, property rights, human rights, independence of the squid system that beat claws our jugulars into spurting blood from our future. That's what people are, that's why the value of Bitcoin is going through the roof. Because people are like, holy shit. I can fucking buy my way out of slavery? I can actually own something? Something could be mine? It's the smell of a dessert we've never had as a species before. Anytime people have been productive, the government has taken over the currency and turned them from workers into slaves. So Bitcoin is the new abolitionist movement. But instead of getting rid of debt, uh, of direct slavery, they're getting rid of debt slavery. Now the abolitionists won. Anyone who bet against the abolitionists lost. Or lost. Sorry, lost. <laughs> Clawing our way out of the bottomless dante and quicksand of manipulated debt it's not going to be easy as soon as as people really figure out that 
you, you know what Bitcoin is? Bitcoin is the biggest jailbreak in human history. You understand? Bitcoin is the biggest jailbreak in human history. Because we're getting out of the debt farm. We're getting out of the tax dungeons. We are regrowing our tendons and taking to the fucking hills. People are getting out. My most famous video, The Story of Your Enslavement. The world is a series of tax farms. Except in Hungary, where people under 25 don't have to pay tax, so they can actually make some, have some families, have some children. Bitcoin is the biggest jailbreak in human history. We could smell that dessert, even though it comes to us from the future. From a cook in a kitchen and in a set of ingredients we barely comprehend. It's the biggest jailbreak in human history. And people are pouring out of the prison. People are pouring out of the prison, of the fiat, of the prison, of no ownership, of the prison, of debt, bankster, serfdom. We are sniffing the air from which direction the greatest food smell is coming from. And we're following it as fast as we fucking can. Do you understand what's afoot? It's the end of all that was before. All that was bad that was before, in the same way that the end of slavery was the end of all that was bad that had gone before. Entire societies, for 150,000 years, all founded on slavery. We didn't fix slavery. We shifted it to tax and debt serfdom. The elites found that if we believed we owned things, that we'd work that much harder. The shift from slavery to taxation was based on the fundamental delusion that we own things, oh, therefore we're going to work harder. But all we're doing is working to get ourselves further in debt. It's all we're doing, and our children, and their children. It's got to end. It's got to stop. It has to. War is based on debt. Many years ago, I did a public speech on how war is impossible with Bitcoin. It doesn't mean conflict is impossible. There will be always conflict. There should be. That's how we progress. You know, you only get muscles from conflicting with gravity, right? Getting into a dark room and moving metal. But crypto represents the potential for the end of all depredations and depredations that came before. And we will be left merely with individual criminality, not institutionalized hypercriminality. You've got the mafia, which is organized crime, and you've got the state, which is disorganized crime. This movement is as big as anything has ever been before. 
and the world that we get, like if, if you go back to the world of slavery, 16th, 17th, 18th century in many places, you go back to the world of slavery and, and then you go forward a couple of hundred years, they wouldn't have any clue where the hell they were. You go back a couple of thousand years, yeah, you know, it's not wildly different, right? You got ships, you got farms, you got hand implements, you got whatever, right? It's not a massive amount of difference. It's been some art and culture along the way, but you take someone from the 17th, 18th century and you put them back in ancient Rome, it wouldn't be like, what the hell is the... It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be full of incomprehensible technology either way. But you take the pre-slavery and the post... Sorry, you take the pre-freedom and post-freedom world separated by 200 years. Incomprehensible. There, there, there is no... You take someone from the early 1800s and you put them to now. It's 200 years and change. They don't know anything about what's going on. They don't know lights. They don't know electricity. They don't know computers. They don't know the internet. They don't know airplanes. They don't know cars. They don't know spaceships. And about 10 other million things. They don't even know what a hypodermic needle is. They don't know what a condom is. They they don't know what a windmill is, uh, a wind farm is. They don't know any of these things. They don't know what nuclear power is. No clue. Like, that's how much things can change. And for 150,000 years, we didn't have that change. We got rid of slavery. And within 200 years, the world is absolutely unrecognizable. And we're there. We're there now, again. God bless you people. Thank you. Like everyone who's listened, everyone who's built, everyone who's challenged, everybody who's evangelized, everybody who's risked, everybody who's pumped, everybody who's talking about it. Yes, you can make some money. I mean, (laughs) we think that making money is selling Bitcoin. No, making money is having Bitcoin because what you sell it for isn't money. It's debt. Now, I know you need the debt. You need the fiat currency. You got to pay your taxes, and I get all of that. And whatever, right? But this could be the end of debt slavery. Because you can't just print bitcoins out of nothing. And you don't need the state to maintain ownership. And nobody can just take your bitcoins. And Bitcoin's store value, which is the essence of civilization. So we are at the tipping point here. Now, after many years, 10 years plus, about 150,000 when you think about it, we can finally have an asset that is not also a liability. You own a dollar. You own $10 in debt. You think it's an asset, but it's a liability. More like 20. We can finally have an asset that's not also a liability. It is something and not its opposite at the same time. More of its opposite. We can finally have a medicine that is not also poison. 
We can have ownership, but it's not also enslavement. So when people say, well, there's this or that little problem with Bitcoin, I invite you to step back a little and look at the big picture. This could be the true foundations of human liberty, liberty from tyrannical institutions, liberty from debt, liberty from war. Liberty from being owned, the liberty to actually own, to have, without the desire to have being fashioned into a noose for our children. <laughs> this could be it, man. Certainly the best chance we've ever, ever had. So yes, guess what? There's some growing pains. There were some growing pains when we ended slavery too. But let's look at the big picture, people. All right. Sorry for the long speech. Hope it was helpful. And I will take your questions. I was not expecting to do that big, long thing. Should we talk a little bit about the documentary? Love you guys, too. Love you guys, too. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bitcoin is revealing that we don't own things, right? Because the tag that's used for pretend ownership is collapsing relative to Bitcoins. And again, it's not just Bitcoins, lots of other cryptos in the space too. But yeah, it's, it's holding its value just as it does when it jumps and it's going to jump again. All right, in my opinion. Have you guys seen uh, The Feeling When No Girlfriend? Have you seen that? Oh, yeah, no, the, the, the elites have been stealing from the people, and Bitcoin is a chance to uh, not take it back, but just have something, right? What do you make of Elon Musk pushing for Dogecoin instead of Bitcoin? I don't know. I can't read his mind, but he's made a huge amount of money on his Bitcoin purchases of, what, 1.5 bill? You saw the face. Uh, sorry, I always thought it was the face when no girlfriend. It's the feeling when no girlfriend or the feel when no girlfriend. Most of you use crypto daily now. Your bank account uses digital. Uh, crypto and digital are not the same thing. So, okay, I'll talk a little bit. We can close up on this. I had a bunch of other topics, but I went, I went long Bitcoin. <laughs> so, which I believe I am. Uh, Steph, you are like Michelangelo, inspired with your call-ins, masterpieces, like the one from yesterday about suicide. Kudos. Thank you. Yeah, I hope that people will check out the truth about suicide. Won't the powers that be eventually start regulating Bitcoin? Well, there'll be a time when they'll try. And, you know, the tipping point is, though, can you get enough value over into Bitcoin to the point where there are very powerful people who... Um, um, 
The most recent, sorry, the most recent show called The Truth About Suicide has its comments enabled on BitChute. Is this intentional? Yeah, I thought that one was something where people should be able to talk uh, about it. Okay, so the, fa- uh, the, the, the feel, it's the feel when no girlfriend, right? We'll just call it no girlfriend because I always thought it was the face, like ooh, the face. So, uh, I mean, I've listen, I made a bunch of documentaries myself. Three, but one of them is four and a half hours long. <laughs> so I made some documentaries. I, I like documentaries a lot. This was a terrible and cowardly piece of documentary filmmaking. It was absolutely appalling to me. And I suppose this is somebody who's never been in the orbit of free domain, but it's really, it's a real shame. So for those of you who haven't seen it, this is not any spoilers. It is, um, it's, there's no story. It is the examination of a bunch of people that society would generally call losers. And so it is, uh, they're called NEET, uh, N-E-E-T, not in education, employment, or training right, which means they don't have a job, they're not in training, they, well, you understand what it means, right? They don't have a life, they don't have a life. And they spend a lot of time online, and a lot of them are shit posters or edgelords, and they, you know, but they constantly will talk about how lonely they are, how desperate they are, how sad they are, and then they'll do edgy bravado stuff and all of that. And it just follows these people around, and it's a bloody exhausting film, because nothing really changes, nobody gets anywhere. And somehow it is considered to be some existential angst. Maybe there's a little bit of, of um, technology thrown in that enables these people. They're portrayed as dangerous because at one point, I don't believe this was organic at all. I just don't believe it. Maybe it was, but I don't believe it was organic at all. But, you know, these these two friends uh, who have no girlfriends, no jobs, no futures, they, um, they go out and they shoot a bunch of guns in the middle of nowhere, right? So it is, um, it's terrible. And the people in the movie, are fundamentally not listened to by the filmmaker. It's one of these days, there's no voiceovers, there's no text, it's all, you know, there's, but there's a whole bunch of intervening stuff that's supposed to tell a story. And they're, they're very clear, they're very clear about why they're miserable. Very clear. Uh, and it's three things. Number one, they say, one of them says, we feel that our presence is an imposition on everyone else or something like that, or everything we do offends everyone else. It's like, that's because they're white guys, right? So they're white guys in a society where being white is a crime, uh, white toxicity, white fragility, white this or that or the other, right? Whites are the new-headed groups because apparently people learned absolutely nothing from one from Rwanda in the 20th century, the rest of it and all that. We just we now have groups that you hate and that's just going to work out fine because it always has throughout human history, he said incredibly sarcastically. But so, yeah, they are shamed for uh, being white, and they're in a culture that is relentlessly hostile to them for being uh, white. So that's one big issue. They don't talk about it at all. It's just a comment made in passing, but it's very clear. The second thing that they talk about continuously is they continuously talk about what terrible abused childhoods they had, right? One the, the group, uh, one of the members of the group, his parents were alcoholics. The other one um, just abusive and uh, the loneliness and isolation and growing up with no other kids and drunk parents, right? Terrible childhoods. Uh, and it sounds like I don't know for sure because the parents aren't interviewed, which is a huge, huge oversight. But uh, they're saying, you know, terrible childhoods is what I heard. Maybe not every, all of them, but that's Whenever they did talk about their histories, it was always terrible childhoods. Got anti-white propaganda all over the place. Terrible childhoods, terrible schools. Of course, it didn't teach them anything about truth or value or meaning or virtue or courage or any of those things. Can't have any of that stuff because it's a tiny bit more of a male prerogative and it's all female teachers these days, at least when the kids are young. So, and the third thing is uh, free shit. Free stuff. What are they living on? 
What are they living on? So it's always a huge question for me. What are they living on? You know, when I was 15 years old, kicked out my mom, got some roommates, worked three jobs, made a go of it. I worked hard. I got my first job when I was 10. Uh, I worked in a bookstore. Uh, I was a waiter. I cleaned offices. I cleaned carpets. A woman had lots of dogs, and I would go in and clean the carpets by hand with a J-cloth. You just, you work, man, you work. Dumb jobs, dull jobs. I worked in a hardware store. Uh, I worked in, I worked as a dishwasher. I couldn't take, oops. Although I, I couldn't take that one. Uh, that was that was too 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 unpleasant for the plongeur, full on uh, down and out in Paris and London style from George Orwell. But you just you work hard, and and through working hard, you get a sense of reality. You get a sense of how to deal with customers. You get a sense of how to deal with bosses. You get a sense of how to deal with boredom. You get a sense of how to do a good job in something you're not at all invested in, at all invested in. You learn to enjoy the little things. When I worked in a hardware store, I loved to mix paint. Uh, I loved to cut glass uh, and uh, keys and, and whatever it is. Like you just learn to deal with coworkers. You learn to deal with just reality. You learn to deal with math, numbers, income. I got $2.50 an hour working at Tony's Home Hardware and Don Mills Mall. I would work Tuesdays and Thursday nights from 5.30 to 9.30, which gave me 10 bucks each night. And then I would work 9 to 5 on Saturday, which would give me another 20 bucks. And that was my 40 bucks for the week, 160 bucks a month. Plus, I worked uh, cleaning offices at night. And then uh, people would say, gosh, you know, you don't, you don't seem to be doing super well in school. It's like, uh, yeah, because I'm in competition with the people who actually have functioning households <laughs> and parents who pay the bills. So... Why don't these guys have jobs? Because someone's paying their bills. So one of the guys says, well, you know, I got, I got attitude from the cashier because I was on food stamps. And he's a young, healthy guy. Why doesn't he have a job? What's he doing on food stamps? If you've got people so chaotic that they raise kids like this, you know, people all up in arms about Joe Biden saying that genocide in China is just a different cultural norm, the guy raised a drug addict. And you, 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 you I, I don't know. It's just so weird to me, people. This is why I got so bored of politics is that it, they're, they're terrible parents. The Bidens are terrible parents. The, the, the kids are like monsters. <laughs> you know, like Nancy Pelosi's brother was charged with, when he was 20, he was charged with raping girls at 11 and 13. I think a dozen men or so were, were charged. He was the only one who was acquitted because a pretty powerful family, but what kind of what childhoods are these people having? Yeah, he raised a drug addict, but somehow he can run a country. And, and drug addiction is probably the least terrible thing that Hunter Biden did. Yeah, Tim Kaine's son was Antifa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Clintons, I mean, it's just awful. It's awful stuff. Um, so in the feeling when no girlfriend, the feel when no girlfriend, 
documentary, they never talk to the parents. They never talk to the teachers. They don't examine the schools. They don't examine the environment, the neighborhoods. They don't examine the propaganda. They don't even ask these kids any questions. I don't know what, if the, if the filmmaker asks questions, you just followed them around like a drone or something. But you ask, you talk to the parents. Try and figure out the root causes of the intense nihilism, occasional suicidality, and disaffectedness of these youth. The issue is not that they have access to guns. The issue is not that they have access to the internet. The issue is not that there's edgelord tweet boards out there and 4chan or whatever, right? That there's all symptoms. And the glorious low-key chaos of 4chan has done a great deal of good in this world. They've actually done some research into things that other people should have damn well been doing research into for many years. And and by the by, just just by the by, can we just can can the universe start delivering some people who are, are A, anti-Trump, and B, not pedophiles or sexual creeps and perverts? Is, is that, can we just ask the universe to deliver that and just break that pattern a little bit, just a little bit? That, that's all I'm asking. Just, you know, shake it up a little, break it up. Just this conveyor belt that the anti-Trumpers don't turn out to be pedos and ungodly sexual deviants and creeps. So, yeah, the, these kids were wrecked by free stuff. They were wrecked by schools. They were wrecked by parents. They were wrecked by a culture that has taught them to hate them for their own race. None of that is mentioned in the documentary. None of that is explored. In the, even though the, they say it right in the documentary. I'm not making this stuff up. They say it right there in the documentary. And a lot of people I kind of like, well, oh, is this a great, is this really smart and intelligent? Doc? It's retarded. And it's a cover-up for the cultural, parental, and welfare state crimes that are being inflicted on the population, which is destroying lives. You ever want to get your life destroyed? Get a whole bunch of free stuff, and you're done. You're done. Life is a muscle designed to work against resistance. You take away that resistance. You know, it's like when we were, um, I admit, you know, this is why I think the people who are you know, the snowflakes, the politically correct hysteria bots and so on, these are people who've grown up pretty easy for the most part. Because when you actually have real problems in your life, you don't go around making up problems. You just don't. I mean, I grew up with real problems in my life. I've had real problems in my life. Real problems. Like could end up homeless problems. I won't even get into some of the problems that I faced. But they've been pretty serious and pretty rough. And... So when I'm an adult, I just don't go around making up problems because I know what real problems are. And I'm just not going to make up problems. But we as a society, we get successful. We eliminate all the predators. We eliminate hunger and we eliminate disease for the most part and war for the most part. And we solve problems. But we are so constituted. We didn't get to the top of the food chain because we were lazy, right? We're not sloths. You only crawl down to their trees to make incomprehensible shits on the ground. That's it. And then they go back up. Nobody knows why. We are a very hardworking species. We are a very committed and dedicated species. And we are a problem-solving species. Now, the problem with that is that once you run out of real problems to solve, a lot of times, especially with the government, government education, you run out of real problems, you just make up problems. We've solved the problem of how do we feed people 
We've solved the problem of how do we keep people relatively healthy. We've solved the problem of women dying in childbirth. We've solved the problem. We've solved all these problems. Now the big problem to solve is human beings are different. (laughs) Some are more talented. Some are smarter. Some are taller. Some are more handsome. Some are more whatever, right? We now have enough food that not everyone is stunted. So now the big problem is people have different heights. (laughs) We've got to solve that. God, can we just focus on some real problems? Real problems still out there. So, Yeah, most parents out there work really hard to rid the kids of all problems, which creates a bigger one. Well, this is like the thing as well, right? This is the thing as well, which is um, is pretty wild. What's going to happen to everyone's immune system? And I'm no doctor. It's just the thought that I've had, right? But what's going to happen to everyone's immune system? when it's been shielded from just about every single bug known to man for well over a year, what's going to happen to people's immune systems when they get a bug again? <laughs> right? It's really not good. It's really it's really not good. It's really like this hyperallergenic, super clean, wash your hands. I mean, this was going on even before. Like when I was a kid, we played in the dirt. My daughter plays in the dirt. Because the immune system, it needs some stuff to do. (laughs) It needs some stuff to do. Yeah, well, so the COVID-9 vaccination thing, too, they've tried these coronavirus vaccines before. And from what I understand, uh, they've tried them in particular on, what is it, ferrets or something like that. And, And what happens is they're then immune to this particular COVID, COVID COVID-19, uh, the, the immune system deals with it, but there is a possibility. In fact, it happened quite a lot with the ferrets that they tried these experimental COVID or coronavirus vaccines on in the past. That the immune system goes into hyperdrive after these, after previous coronavirus vaccines, the immune system goes into hyperdrive when it encounters another coronavirus that is not the same. And uh, because it sees coronavirus everywhere, because that's kind of what goes on with these uh, RNA vaccines. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. My brother's wife was raised in a super sanitized environment. Now she's always sick. Now, again, anecdotes and it could be other things and all of that. So, Yeah, they also haven't been exposed to arguments for a long time, too. Yeah, well, so the way that you provoke the mob is you keep effective and intelligent arguments away from them in the same way that if you really want to provoke a, an immune system over response, you keep a super clean environment so the immune system doesn't have any working out or doesn't have any practice, so to speak. And then when the kid hits a bug, you get this, often this allergic hyperreaction to, to whatever, right? This is the peanut allergy thing, right? If kids rage in the hyperclean environments. And so in the same way, if you really want to make sure the mob gets angry, what you do is you keep reasonable arguments away. And that way, when they encounter arguments, they overreact, right? So it's pretty, uh, it's pretty wild. All right, so any other last thoughts or questions? Appreciate everyone's uh, attention and uh, interest uh, tonight. That was a speech of the gods for crypto. I hope that makes sense. Elon Musk is no longer following at POTUS. (laughs) Is that right? Somebody just sent me that. 
Will you follow the U.S. Supreme Court cases Friday the 19th, where they'll hear the Trump versus Wisconsin case on the election? Yeah, I was kind of surprised that they allowing all of this stuff going on. I mean, what's the point now? Okay, oh, well, it's for the future. But there is no future because it's just going to legalize 20 million uh, Democrat voters uh, by 2022, and there won't be any election, right? There's nothing, right? There's no, nothing going on. So, um, I mean, I'm interested in it. I'm interested in it. But, I mean, the election is so far in the rear view and it's, you know, unreversible, so to speak. And so, yeah, it's interesting. But, um, you know, when, 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 when days count, the Supreme Court is a year away. <laughs> so. All right. Yeah, I'd be interested if what what Musk is uh, Elon Musk though uh, you know him and Joe Rogan talking about the joys of the universal basic income was not particularly heartwarming to me but stimulus is fake and gay put it into crypto <laughs> I think that's really funny right all right so any other so please a couple of just immune system things uh, I'm, uh, sorry a couple of immune system things <laughs> I was just reading a a couple of housekeeping things uh, please. Check out my free books, uh, freedomain.com slash almost. A great audio book. There's a, um, a feed right there. You can put it into any feed catcher and download the book. Please, please just listen to this book. It's an amazing, amazing, wonderful book. And uh, you'll learn a lot too, but it'll be uh, pretty, pretty, uh, lot of, uh, a lot of spoonfuls of sugar helping that medicine go down. So I hope that you will check that out, freedomain.com slash almost. FDR URL for Free Domain Radio URL, fdrurl.com slash TGOA, TGOA for the God of Atheists. It's another free book. Uh, it's a modern tale. Uh, pretty lighthearted. Actually, it's something I wrote in the 90s, uh, long before there was any of this stuff. And one of the things that I was talking about was a guy who, who stared intensely into a camera broadcasted across the Internet and made great speeches. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? So... Uh, somebody says, start of the book. Very good so far, Steph. Oh, it just gets better. It just gets better. The God of Atheists, yeah. FDRURL.com slash TGOA. And uh, my uncle doesn't like UPB. I guess he's a retard then. No, not at all. It's just that the idea that you like or don't like something is completely irrelevant as to um, uh, as to whether it's true or not. <laughs> as to whether it's true or not. Uh, should I get into a relationship if all the other options are bad? Uh, no, because you're closing off all the other options, and one of the other options that could be just around the corner is a better relationship. Oh yeah, boy, you really want to see um, uh, you really want to see some hypocrisy. You remember all the leftists complaining that Trump was mean in his tweets? Go and look at what they're saying about Rush Limbaugh, Rush Limbaugh after he died. <sighs> woof, 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 man, it's rough. I really don't think that it was entirely sincere that they were concerned about mean tweets from Donald Trump. Steph, should one get into a relationship with a girl they have no physical attraction to? Is she fertile? Are you young? Oh, that's the other thing, too, I wanted to mention about the feel when no girlfriend. So, listen, guys, 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 guys and girls. Look, the point of romance is not, the point of dating, the point of having a girlfriend or a boyfriend is not so you have someone to cuddle with. It's not so you have someone to get a latte with. It's not so that you have someone to hang out with. It's not so that you don't feel lonely. It's like it's not any of these things. The entire purpose of dating and love and romance and sex is to build families. That's it. That's the only reason it exists. The only reason that you want a girlfriend is because your body wants to make a new you and, and her, right? That, that's the hope. So these guys 
They've got no jobs, no education, no training, these guys in the movie, right? And they're like, I'm lonely, I'm lonely, I'm lonely. And no one in the flashby, and some of them were pretty fast, nobody in the flashby that I saw ever said, well, you're not going to get a quality woman if you don't have an income. Of course, right? Because she's looking for a provider for when she has babies. She's looking for somebody to take care of the bills when she raises your children. So if you don't have a job, if you don't have a future, if you don't have an income, no woman of, in, of quality is going to be at all interested in you. So, again, but apparently the problem is 4chan, not that people have lost basic biological facts about. Yeah, your toe wants to make a new toe, man. I rec- <laughs> I get that reference. All right. Can't get a girl when you don't own anything. <laughs> well, no, but everybody still believes that they do own stuff, right? So, all right. Thanks, everyone. Wait. What if the only option is a great girl thinks independently but does not want to have children and won't change her mind? Um, Well, if you want to have children and she doesn't want to have children, do you want to stick around for her life of eventual regret? My God, it'd be terrible. It'd be terrible. This is back in the day when I was talking about on Twitter about how, oh, yeah, I said, you know, Women lose their fertility around the age of 40 if you don't have kids and you, your attractiveness for the most part. If you don't have kids, what are you going to do for the remaining 40-plus years of your life? And a lot of the women were like, well, I don't have kids and I'm going to have a great time. I'm going to bang my husband. I'm going to learn a new language. I'm going to paint. And it's like, okay, so you have a great life because somebody else decided to have kids, but you're not paying it forward, you selfish witches. Uh, Steph, I recently lost my job, but I'm going to donate to you because your videos kept me going during a difficult, difficult couple of years. I appreciate that. That is incredibly kind, incredibly generous. Please don't donate to me if you've just lost your job. Uh, uh, Don't donate to me if you're low on money. Please, please don't donate to me if you're low on money. Your presence, your feedback, your eyeballs is absolutely payment enough. Hey, if you're swimming in it, freedomain.com forward slash donate. I really appreciate that. But please, please, please don't donate to me. Uh, Save your money because you need to keep your money so that you can have a bit of liberty to look for an even better job, right? The longer you can look for a job within reason, uh, the more, the better job you're likely to get. So I really, really do appreciate that. But uh, that's very, um, that's very kind. All right. Well, thanks everyone so much. I really, really appreciate your time. It was a great pleasure to chat with you this evening. Uh, Lots of love from, what do I think about the $74 billion face mask industry? Uh, It's worth a lot and they have a very big investment in COVID. So, All right. So uh, thanks, everyone. Uh, I love you guys so much. It was a great pleasure to chat with you tonight. And uh, stick around. We've got even cooler stuff to come. Uh, That sounds like I'm holding back cool stuff. Every show is about as cool as I can get, but the next one is almost always cooler, which is why I enjoy doing it uh, (laughs) even more all the time. It's 15 years. Well, it's 40 years of philosophy for me, 15 years as a public figure, and it's still as fresh as a daisy. So uh, thanks so much, everyone. Have a great, great evening. Hodel, and I will talk to you soon.